Today we kick off a brand new series of messages. You shall receive power leaning into the forgotten God. And it is specific to the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how does this apply? What does this mean for me now? Because you may have come to this room today looking for some answers that's going on in your life. And I would contend with you is that the disciples, the early disciples, the early followers of Jesus, after the resurrection, he is alive. They see him. They understood, they understood a little bit more clearly that what he said, that he would die and three days later rise again, that occurred. And out of that, then we go, okay, now what? For the businessman that sits in this room and I'm looking around at some of you, I see your faces. I know now that we have a plan, let's get after it. Let's do it. The ideas are formulating in your mind. It would formulate in your mind if you were a disciple of Christ in that day. This is what we do now. We got we to gotta do what Jesus said. We got to make disciples. This is what this is about is making disciples. And so here we are, 2,000 years removed from the resurrection. Actually, for us, a week removed from celebrating and remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The heart, the crucible of Christianity. We must ask, now, now, now what? What for you now? What does God have? Is there something Else, Is there more than Calvary? Is there more than the objective truth of Christ's resurrection that's available, that's needed for you? Oh, yes, there is. And it is found in a person, and the person's name is the Holy Spirit. And he gives you things, if you will, that make you able Now, we chose this carefully, make you able to live the Christian life because for many of you, you know what it's like to profess faith in Christ. You would say today, I am a believer. I am trying to learn to be a follower. I am doing the best that I can, but it is hard. And you wonder, now what? John chapter 14 is probably no better place to go to begin our exploration of leaning into the forgotten God. So if you have your Bible, I'd ask you to turn there. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God in the reading of God's Word. If you will look with me at verse 1, we're going to read one verse and we're going to stop. Jesus began, this is called the upper room discourse. This particular 14, 15, and 16, John has teaching that you don't find in the other Gospels. This is unique, unique teaching from Christ called the Upper Room Discourse. He begins by saying this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Why does he say such a thing? Because he knows that here you are in 2017, he knew Trouble would find you. Trouble would find the disciples. Trouble will find you. Now look with me down in verse 15 and following. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and make and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You remember the... The WWJD bracelets that were worn in the 90s. Some of you may still have them. It stood for what would Jesus do? These bracelets were supposed to remind us, remind those who wore them to live in a manner that showed themselves to be a follower of Christ. And asking and considering what Jesus would do in a situation is good, but it actually, if you've done it, know that sometimes it is quite difficult because concluding it, we conclude sometimes, wouldn't it be a lot easier if Jesus was just right there with me in any given situation where he could, make, he could show me what to do? Jesus right there, show me what to do, and then I just copy him. Get it down that way. So I ask you, would it be better? Would it be better for you if Jesus was with you today, with he, if he was here Would we be better disciples? Wouldn't we, if we got to experience what the first century Jesus followers, what they really had, would it? Not according to Jesus. Did you hear me? Not according to Jesus. Would it be better if he was right here with you where you Copy what he does. Let's look at Christ's teaching. In fact, some of these things we don't quite get. In John 16, verse 7, we, we, we see where he makes this plain that it's not to our advantage that he is here. In fact, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Wow. Wow, it's an advantage that Jesus goes away. 
What? In fact, this whole teaching, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus knew how to say provocative things. I mean, he did. He said things that were provocative. In fact, some of the things that he teaches in this, this passage, our minds would treat them as actually, wow, that's kind of absurd. In our minds, these statements make no sense. Let me show you what they are. I'm going to go backward, 16, 15, 14. John 16, 7. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that he goes away. It's to your advantage that Jesus not be here. Second thing he says, in John chapter 15, he talks about the vine and the branches. For those of you who are familiar with it, Jesus says in the midst of this, and in verse 5, he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. So did you get it? It's an advantage that he goes away, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do we get things done? Third thing he says, he says you actually should rejoice. In John chapter 14, verse 26, you should rejoice that Jesus went away, which leaves us scratching our heads. What does this mean? And I think we scratch our heads because there's some things that we get and there's some things we just don't get. We get the idea of God the Father. See, even if our earthly father was not a good example, we get that. We can kind of see in examples. We know. We get the son of God because because as the son, we can look to what he did specifically. We can look at what he said specifically. We can see the work that he did in the flesh, that he gave his life for us. However, When we begin talking about the Spirit, let's just be honest. We we don't get it. He is forgotten. I'm persuaded that He is not just forgotten. Actually, He's more like He's unknown. And until you know Him, until you love what He does, you're going to live without understanding about Christianity. You're going to live without understanding of what was purchased by the cross and purchased in the resurrection. It is a big, big deal that we get this. We don't get it because there's misconceptions. Let me show you how it works. If you grew up in church at all and you used a King James Version of the Bible which many of us, that's how we kind of cut our teeth. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy. That's right. And I don't know about you, but every portrayal of ghosts is what? Scary. And it's like a fog or a vapor. And then we have the amazing stories that come from Star Wars. And we equate the Holy Spirit that he is like the force. The force is with you. Star Wars is fiction. It's fun. But it's not the spirit of Jesus Christ. 
The third misconception is that the Holy Spirit makes us do things that others cannot. And it kind of draws attention to you, which leaves the church confused about what is real and what is not. From gifts of the Spirit to experiences that have, frankly, zero, and I mean zero, biblical foundation. Zero biblical foundation for barking like a dog, laughing, running, and even a true biblical spiritual gift, tongues, when they're not done in light of 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 lays out the rules for tongues. Did you know that? There's biblical rules for the expression of that gift. So we're confused. And then we go, well, why does it matter? Don't we have the cross? Don't we have that and the empty grave? But imagine with me what what the early disciples, now what? All right, he's alive. Wow. And he says he's going to ascend, and there he goes. Now, what now? See, apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no presence of God in your life right now. You may be moral. You may believe in the tenets of Judeo-Christian thought. But you do not have what Jesus promised. And what Jesus promised was his power and his presence in your life right now. And for the rest of your life. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And the Holy Spirit is Emmanuel, Jesus within you. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones, the British Reformed pastor from a previous generation, how he put it, how he taught. He said, I spend half my time telling Christians to study doctrine and the other half telling them doctrine is not enough. This is a church right here that many of you are here because of how we teach faithfully God's word. Thus said the Lord. This is what he says. And we teach it and we unpack it and we apply it to our life. But I contend that what Martin Lloyd-Jones said and what we want you to understand is outside the empty tomb. There is now for you the Spirit of God which is meant to change the way you live. It isn't enough to study doctrine. Christianity without the Holy Spirit, frankly, is nothing more than a dead religion. Christianity without the Holy Spirit is dead. You can make a country club out of it, of the tenets of it. But the Holy Spirit is given to us to make life different. So in the time that we have left, what I want to do today is this. I want to point you to three essentials. I want to lay a foundation for us for the coming weeks that help you understand that that you got to have clear if you're going to live as an able follower of Christ. Because following Christ without the Holy Spirit is just not doable. 
The first two have to do with his nature. The third has to do with his work. So let's get into it. First, the Holy Spirit is a person. The most important passages to support this first truth are found here in John 14 to 16. There's at least three things in these chapters that Jesus confirms and teaches about the Holy Spirit. That he's not a force, but actually a person. In 14:16, look with me again. Look at it with me. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You'll know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is promising here another helper. Now, in the Greek, there's a unique word here that we get another word from. It's the word paraclete. It's where, it's where we get the word parallel, which means to lay right alongside, alongside. And this word paraclete meant counselor, helper, advocate. And depending on your translation, that's the way it will be uh, laid out for you. But the interesting thing is a, is a word right in the middle of it is this word, another helper. A distinct, but the same. What Jesus is saying is this. I am going to send one just like me. That's who's coming. Just like me. The Spirit is no less God than Jesus was God. See, in heaven right now, we have an advocate. His name is Jesus. But the Spirit of God is heaven's advocate on the earth to you. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then in verse 25, he says, I've spoken to you while I'm with you. Jesus virtually identifies the spirit with himself. I am with you and you and and will be in you. It's the same as saying, I am with you. The spirit of God will be with you and he will dwell inside you. What? Now, you may, think, or you may be so familiar with this teaching that you've missed it. But I will tell you, if you look at the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's not uh, uh, around every corner. When he shows up, big things happen. Lives change. Mountains move. Fire falls. Things change. And in the New Testament, he does not, uh, he does not sit with the disciples on every disciple. He's not filling every disciple. John the Baptist was full of the spirit and truth. And people flocked out to hear him because when he spoke, the power of God was on display. I mean, his wardrobe didn't exactly draw a crowd. All right? Jesus says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You know that when we look at the teaching on the Holy Spirit in this passage, and it, and it, and it seems like, okay, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I've always stayed in touch with that because your focus, your focus 
is appropriate when you say, I must return and preach the cross and resurrection to myself, that I need forgiveness of sins, that Christ is alive and he forgives me and he's purchased me. Yes, yes, yes. But what about power to live? Jesus is saying here, the power to live is going to be with him in you. The Spirit is no less a person than than Jesus is. Third, the Spirit is described not merely as a voice of God's teaching, but actually the teacher himself. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And in chapter 15, verse 26, it shows that he is a witness. He says this, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, this is what he does. Look, look he will bear witness about me. Unless we think that the Spirit is just an extended teaching of the Father and the Son, John chapter 16 says this about him. He says, first he hears, the Spirit first hears, and then the Spirit teaches. He will not speak on his own authority, 1613 says, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Not a force, not an influence, not an activity, but a person in his own right, hearing from the Father and teaching and bearing witness to you. Teaching and bearing witness of what? What does he bear witness to? What does he point to? What does he do? The best illustration that I can give you is this. I, at 15 years old, saw my first concert. I'm not a concert goer. And believe it or not, even though I cannot sing, I do love good music. First concert was Billy Joel. If you've never heard Billy Joel, it's worth the ticket price. And so I had never been. I did not know. I did not know how loud it would be. I did not know how long he would play. But I knew that when it was over, it was over. So it was over. The lights uh, basically go down. But nobody leaves. I didn't know that that happened. And so it's just kind of the warm-up for the encore. And there was one particular song that he did not sing in his first set. You know it if you know Billy Joel. It's Piano Man. And so what happened after about seven or eight minutes in the crowd, the natives start getting restless, all right? Dark in the room, high on the back of the stage, suddenly you hear this harmonica begin to play. And from the back of the auditorium came a spotlight. And that spotlight was focused in one spot on the piano, on Billy Joel at the piano. And he began to play and he's playing the harmonica and playing the piano. And you just had that moment like, man, that dude is gifted. I can barely walk and chew gum. But here's what it is. Nobody was thinking about the spotlight. 
What was I thinking about? The musician. The star. The giftedness. The talent. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He is like a spotlight on Jesus. That's what Jesus taught here. He said he would take, he would bear witness of me. And if you want to know what is of the Holy Spirit, anything that you see, anything that you observe, if it does not point to Jesus, if it is not clear to you that this is about God, about his amazing work, And who Jesus is, if it does not make much of him, that's not what the Spirit does. The Spirit does not draw attention to you. The Spirit does not draw attention to himself. He spotlights and floodlights the Son of God. That's what he does. That's what Jesus said he would do, and that's what he does. Making much of Jesus. Why? Because there is a great difference between the idea of this impersonal God outside of you. Working as a force to try to help you. And the God of Spirit, uh, of Scripture, who basically comes to love you and take up residence within you. So that your life reflects and spotlights the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. So he's a person. Secondly, the Holy Spirit, you've got to get this, the Holy Spirit is God. When you add this second essential truth about the Holy Spirit, the first one becomes even more profound. The Holy Spirit is God. It's God. He is God. The person who indwells and leads and purifies us is no less than God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is of God, not because God created him, but because he shares God's full nature, comes forth eternally from God. See 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If the Son of God is equal with the Father, and he is, It makes us clear about that in John chapter 1. The Spirit is equally eternal with them both because according to Romans chapter 8 verses 9 to 11, the Spirit of God God is one and the same with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I hope you understand that when we begin talking about the Spirit, we're talking about God himself. No less God than Jesus. No less God than the Father. And this matters to us because there's glorious truth about this. Because when Jesus teaches about the Father and he prays in John chapter 17, he's praying for you, he's praying for me. This is what he says. As he prays, he says, I have made known to them thy name. He's talking about the Father. And I will make it known. And he goes on, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. In other words, the love that the Father has for the Son is given to you. And it's given to you so that your love is changed. You have have the ability to, to say and to truly live that you love Jesus Christ. 
that you make much of him because he has made much of you. John Piper said it better than I can. The most glorious of all truths that we're going to discover is that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he comes not merely as the spirit of the son or the mere, merely the spirit of the father, but as the spirit of infinite love between the father and the son. So that we may love the father with the very love of the son and the love of the son with the very love of the father. You say, well, that's all right and good, Brian. I'm having a hard time loving my mate. What's going on in your life? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, it would be wrong for you to believe that you do not have the ability to love your mate or your enemy. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives within you. The love of the Father is within you. The love to love Him, the love to love the Son, the love to love those who do not always love you back. You have it. How does this escape us? Why does this get set aside? Why does it not get applied to our life? Why does the Spirit of God, why is He is like you've forgotten? Why? Because of how we get stuck. I want, you, I want you to hear me here. As I've already said, we love orthodox teaching. We're about rightly discerning God's word. Thus says the Lord, yes, that's what we're about. The problem is this. We live stuck between Calvary and Pentecost. We spend all of our time looking back at the cross, looking back at the resurrection, and never really understanding that God has provided for us right now in our life in 2017, his presence and his power to live victoriously now. The spirit of God is really quite a mystery to us. We think we don't have what we need. We know we want, we know we need something. We're just not quite sure. You woke up this morning, you knew you need something. You may think that you need $10,000 more than what you have. You think that will solve your pain. It might soothe the nerves for a little while, but it will not solve the ultimate pain. What we have forgotten is that we have what we need. What we have forgotten is that in the gift of the Holy Spirit promised to us, we have what we need to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we have the ability to love like no other. You have it. I want to show you how that works. I want to show you how what he brings, being God himself, being a person, what he brings to your life. And that's number three. The Holy Spirit gives as he comes to you. He gives you power, purpose, and peace to the believer. Or let me say it another way. You must have the Holy Spirit to be Christian and to live as able 
followers of Jesus Christ. It, you are unable without the Holy Spirit to follow Christ. You, you can try. It may look like something like it. But for you to be able, the Holy Spirit must equip you to do it. And Jesus begins his teaching here by pointing us, as I said in 14.1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. And he revisits this as the bookend in verse 26, 27. Excuse me. So I want to show you how this works. How does this actually work in your life? First, this. Power begins in the most unlikely fashion. It begins by doing nothing. That's how it began for the disciples. By doing nothing, not, not working it up, not stirring the spirit up, not making the music louder as if that gets the spirit going. No, the instruction was this. Acts chapter 1. Take your Bible. Turn over there just for a second. I want to show you. We often conclude that after the Gospels, Jesus did not really say anything else. But in Acts chapter 1, we see that he had other things to say. Look with me in verse 4. The book of Acts is the history of the early church. He's already given them direction that they are to go into all the world and make disciples. Now he gives them direction on what to do as he begins his ascension. Verse 4 And it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Power begins by doing nothing. The disciples were given clear direction to stay right where they were before they go to do nothing until the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. And that is exactly what they did. That's exactly what happened. It goes like this. Jesus went up, the Spirit came down, and the disciples went out. And as they went out, they went out testifying of the difference that Christ makes. Jesus went up, the Spirit came down, then the disciples went out. He equips us to proclaim. Now, if you look back, if you look back in chapter 14 and verse 15, that's where we began. Let me show you this one other little thing. When I say that when the Spirit comes, He brings power, power for what? You got to go, what? What, what to do what? To, to do something like that nobody else can do? To behave in such a way that people will go, man, he's filled with the Spirit. Man, look at that. He's, he's rocking it. Frankly, this. You know a person is full of the Spirit if when you look at them and you hear them speak, what happens is this. They kind of fade in the background and you just think about Jesus. Because he always is pointing to Jesus. He's always talking about the marvelous, glorious nature of Jesus Christ. 
But power for what? Well, it's not going to be popular. I want to tell you what I'm about to tell you is not going to be popular. Power for what? Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What? In fact, if you look at this passage, verses 15 to 27, Jesus talks a whole lot about obedience. And what those who love him, what they do, they obey. They follow faithfully. Their life looks different. How does it look different? By mustering up discipline? No. By being full of the Holy Spirit. That's how obedience works. You need the Holy Spirit to obey. See, the early disciples were very interested in this. Near the end, they want to know who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. That's what their focus is. Peter's interested in wielding a sword. He's going to be cutting off ears. Making war. Let's establish the kingdom. Let's usher it in right now. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The Holy Spirit gives you power to obey. We get confused. We think we're missing something. And you may be confused right now that you somehow have trusted Christ and you need something else. But the Spirit of Christ came to live in you. You have all of him that you're ever going to get. Now, he may get more of you, but you have all of him you're ever going to get. And you're going to have him for all of eternity. You're never, ever, ever going to be alone. He gives you that power of forever. Secondly, the Spirit gives your life purpose. Many of us, our souls long for meaning. They cry out, is there more? Is there more? You wake up wondering, is there more? Is there more someplace else to live? Is there more in another job? Is there more in a different relationship? Is there more? Is there more? Is life, is this it? I maintain that Christ's promise of the Spirit is indicative that there is more. Our souls are longing for more. See, your spiritual life is not an exercise in mere cognition. The gift of Christ's presence in you is meant for you to be and do something that you may never have gotten your hands around. You may have never got that you were designed with purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You were designed to give glory to God. You were designed to point to Christ and for your life to say, Christ makes a difference. It's made a difference in you. And for you to share that, the Spirit of God gives your life purpose. And there is no higher ambition. There is no higher good. There is no greater fulfillment. For it will outlive you for generation and generation and generation. Because it has God's Spirit behind it. And it passes from you on and on and on. The glory of God. But the third thing that the Spirit gives is what some of you 
so desperately long for, and you are a true follower of Christ, but you've lost touch with this, as I have many times. Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 1, and in verse 27, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then at the end, he turns back, let not your heart be troubled and don't let them be afraid. When the Spirit of God comes, the Spirit of God gives peace. Power is a wow factor, and we like that. We like the idea that we're going to be given power. Purpose centers us, which means our life has some level of meaning. But the Spirit brings something else entirely by His presence. He brings peace. And when He brings peace, it secures you. It shows you hope that is not in circumstance. The world's peace is circumstance that is likened unto what you want. An absence of conflict. But you and I know trouble finds you. You really can't insulate yourself from it. You can't insulate yourself from aging, from sickness, from dreams unfulfilled. Rejection, some of you have known maybe even this week. Something so painful and so dark that they've left you with no ability to function. So when words escape you, when the ability to breathe takes effort, you desperately long for the spirit of peace. I'll share an experience of R.A. Torrey, a name you may not know. He was a great preacher who followed his mentor, D.L. Moody, in Chicago. And he went through an experience that he declared nearly took him out. It's what every parent fears the most, the death of a child. Elizabeth was her name, and she was nine years old. Elizabeth was taken to the zoo by a friend. And when she got home, she didn't feel like supper. She went on to bed. The next morning, she came to breakfast, and she told her parents she didn't feel like she could go to, to church that day because she felt so badly. She was diagnosed with diphtheria, which was fatal in those days. Within two days, she was gone. The Tories were devastated. To make matters worse, diphtheria clings to the flesh, and it was so contagious that they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow a funeral. And to pile on the misery to make it more tragic as if choreographed in a movie... It began to rain the day that she died, and it rained for days and days and days, beating and beating and beating. All the while, the Tories couldn't be in their home because it was being fumigated. Husband and wife lay in a cold, dark hotel room, the rain never ceasing. Pastor Tory decided to go to his church to study and take his mind off things. He said as he walked, he collapsed in the street under the weight of the burden. He began to cry uncontrollably. He was inconsolable. And in those moments, 
something happened. Something came over him that he said the Holy Spirit became more real to him than it had ever been before in his life. He wrote this later in life. I quote, And just then this fountain, the Holy Spirit, that I had in my heart, broke forth with power that I'd never experienced before. And it was the most joyful moment I'd ever known in my life. Oh, how wonderful is the joy of the Holy Spirit. It is unspeakably glorious to have this thing. No, no. Joy that was not rooted in me or my friends or my loved ones, but to have within me a fountain ever springing up, always springing up, 365 days a year, springing up all under all circumstances and into everlasting life. I too stood over the body of my two-day-old son. I was angry, was confused, and nearly paralyzed with grief. My hopes dashed. I tell you now what my wife knows. That in that morgue, I begged Jesus to raise my son from the dead. I don't tell you this to make you uncomfortable. You do need to know, though, as you do know, there are dark, dark days. And there will be dark days. However, in those days, I discovered, as I hope you will, That the hand of God in the darkness is sweeter than his face in the sunshine. Jesus wants you to know he's provided for you in your darkness. Not in the circumstances being ideal, but by his very presence within you. What about you if you find yourself sitting here and You know, you're kind of interested in Christianity. But you go, Holy Spirit, huh? In this kind of subjectivity, superstition, relegating the God stuff to kind of fable-like stuff. Well, you know that Scripture says the Holy Spirit applies to you as well. John chapter 16 says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict He'll convict the world considering sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's that part, that part of you that kind of knows that trust in Christ matters. It's like poking. It matters. Death may not really be the end. Poke. There's more. There's more. And there is more. Believer and unbeliever, the work of the Holy Spirit is here for you in this moment. Will you be honest enough to say, Lord, I may not know, but I want to know. I want to know what you've provided me. 
and I want to respond appropriately. Your life can change today. Let's pray. Lord, the answer for change begins with belief. Faith in you. Faith in what you have accomplished in making us right and through your death and resurrection. The forgiveness of sins is ours. And oh Lord, may we know that you've not left us as orphans. You come to us in the Holy Spirit. That we have you. And we may feel very alone. But, Lord, that is not true. We're not alone. You are with us. Thank you, Spirit of God. Thank you for making much of our Savior. Thank you. Call to remembrance what we need. Father, help us to be people who pray. Romans 15, 13, that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.